Welcome to Terminal Talk, the podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. And we are lucky today because we have the packaging expert from IBM, Sharon Spalding. Hello. So, uh, packaging expert, can you help me wrap gifts? Is that what you do? Oh, I'm very good at wrapping gifts. (laughs) (laughs) I went to school for wrapping gifts, sort of. Um, So, yeah, um, I'm a packaging engineer, and a lot of people ask me what I do. And literally, in in simple terms, I kind of drop things for a living when nice. you think about it, right? So I don't know how many people can say that, right? So, so could I do that? I'm really good at dropping stuff. Oh, I can teach you everything <laughs> you need to know. Are there different names for different types of drops? Um, well, oh, that's a that's a, a side ration or something yeah, like that. Or... We we drop at different heights, um, but we don't really have names for them. Okay, we just you know. Just drop stuff. Just drop stuff. Yeah. yeah. And shake things. <laughs> Good and, one, Steve. <laughs> and and bang things into like really large walls. So because we have to really when you think about it, our stuff is very expensive and it goes into normal distribution, right? On trucks, planes, can go on trains and in some mm-hmm. like third world countries on the backs of open trucks and donkeys and you name it. I mean, I've seen things <laughs> delivered just about anyway, you know, think so what's possible. The, what's the weirdest thing you've seen a mainframe delivered on? Um, well, mainframes are pretty big. So probably a really open air truck in a third world country. So like no sides. Like, a, like a U-Haul rental. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> kind of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. I've seen that. Now, I personally, I've seen pictures because they don't let me go on all these deliveries <laughs> personally. So um, I do get the pictures and um, and can and if this was visual, I could probably share some with you. But um, <laughs> you'll just have to take my word on that. <laughs> wow. So so I imagine that your your job is making sure that you can drop it and kick it and all that stuff. And have it still work when it gets well. Absolutely, you know, yeah. Custer pays a lot of money for our for our rack systems, and uh, the last thing they want is to have it opened up. You know, open up the package and you know be damaged, and then you know plug it in and it doesn't work. So, yeah, we we try to simulate within reason. You know, uh. if something gets dropped off, you know, a two story building, that's kind of not reasonable. <laughs> so within I know, reason, I, I did that egg drop thing in, in uh, middle school. You know? Well, yeah, and what did what height did they have you drop that? Uh, at? the top of a three-story school. Okay. I still don't think people drop eggs from three-story buildings, but but within reason, okay? Um, Again, it's all cost-based as well. I mean, if you really want me to design it to to withstand, um, you know, a drop from a building, it would cost a lot of money, almost (laughs) as much as the mainframe would cost. So I don't think that would be cost-effective. So we have standards that we use um, that's kind of within what we call reasonable handling distribution um, terms, if you want to call it that. And are those standards set up by us or by the shipping companies? There are are standards. uh, there's organization like ISTA, uh, International Safe Transit Association. So there's organization, organizations out there that kind of we all work together and kind of establish what's a normal uh, drop height. Say say if, if it's a small package, because um, we do do small, like what we call FRUs, um, field repla- replaceable units or spare parts, right? So if that's delivered via FedEx and someone's carrying it, you know, we say, okay, that could be dropped about 36 inches because uh-huh. someone could be carrying it and dropping it. Versus something that's, uh, let's say, palletized, so it's very heavy and it's picked up mechanically, then you would say, okay, well, then it wouldn't be dropped more than a few inches generally, right? So there are guidelines that we have to design to depending on how heavy it is or how big it is and, you know, kind of like the typical kind of use that um, <laughs> that you would kind of see in distribution. Yeah. 
somebody getting a little uh, happy with a forklift and well yeah <laughs> yeah we wouldn't expect things picked up with a fork to be dropped you know more than you know like a, a foot you know because that's because n- it's not safe the higher you bring it up yeah. the the more of a chances that you could fall off the fork truck so there are guidelines that's more of industry standard that we have to work with and I, I noticed, uh, I want to say recently, but it's probably been like 10 years now, <laughs> they, we've had those little stickers showing up on the side of the crates that indicate if it's tilted or not. Can you tell us a little bit about yep, those? Yep, those are called tip and tells. And, oh, that's uh, awesome. Yep, and I can get you one if you'd like. <laughs> Ooh, I'll trade you a Terminal Talk sticker oh, for a tip you, and tell. You got tell. it. You got it. I'll give you a tip and tell. Okay, so. I want to put it on Frank. <laughs> there you go. I want to I see it, too. <laughs> so um, so how they work, basically, it's it's got a, a silver puck in the middle that covers up a, a red spot, and it's in a V shape. And so as the product is tipped, and it's quite a distance, it's like it's or quite a degree, it's, um, it's like over 80 degrees, oh. the little puck will actually roll out of the groove, and the red spot will then show up. So it's strictly just mechanical. Huh. Um, and what's nice about it, we used to have ones that had little... Um, sand in it, but a lot of times the sand would jump around in vibration and give you kind of false positives. So this is more of a mechanical, uh, it's a very good method for doing tips. So, and again, once you tip it, it can't literally fall back into place. They can't right. re-engage it, right? So I know some of our carriers would like to do that because what happened, here's an interesting story. When a tip and tell goes off and uh, you know someone doesn't want to know that it went off, a lot of times they will disappear. So they will rip them off the machine. Right. So and, oh, it fell off in shipping. We have no idea what happened to it, you know. So that's the one of the, you know, kind of the things that I've seen is, you know, when a carrier wants to hide something, they will literally rip it off, right? So it won't be there. <laughs> if it's a metal one, I would think you could probably, well, maybe I should just disclose oh, my ma- magnetic? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, let's not talk about that okay. here. <laughs> blockchain. We'll put on blockchain. There you go. Yeah. Right. And is there, is, there, is there one for each side so it can tell? Yeah, it's, it's only in one plane. So, oh, okay. like, front to back would have one and yeah. then left to right. Yeah. So that way you would have them in each orientation, right? Well, and, and 80 degrees, that's a pretty that's high. Pretty right. <laughs> yeah. So we've had situations where racks have sort of fallen over but not gone all the way over. Like, like up hit, against a wall. Yes, or a pole or something. So those would be ones that wouldn't indicate. So again, we have to make sure that we don't have false positives because when we do have a positive, it creates all kinds of, you know, recourse, right? What do we do? Do we still deliver it? You know, um, investigations, all that kind of thing. So the the tip and tell is really to make sure that um, this box hasn't fallen down during shipping. Basically, it hasn't been tipped because our systems are tested in a vertical orientation and um, we do not ship our products on their sides um, and we don't design for products being on their side. So all of our testing is done in a vertical orientation. So we do our, our drops and our sh- and our vibration. It's all in, an, in a vertical. So if it was to fall over, the mechanical um, bracketry that's inside, it's not designed to accommodate the weight in, in, in the other orientation. Um, so it's not like my Xbox 360. I can't have it on its side and expect it to work well. Yeah, mainframes are made to be um, basically operated in its vertical position. <laughs> now, there's some interesting stories that we've had. Um, we've had, and this was a few many years ago. I've, I've worked with the company for quite a while, but um, where they wanted to put a mainframe on a submarine, huh. so we actually had to 
kind of get it to the submarine and put it in a vertical position to get it into the submarine, but then, you know, upright it once it got in because it had limited space. So there's been some interesting deliveries for, for our products. So <laughs> wow. that was one of them. Well, one of the, uh, um, you, you've probably heard about Connor Kukowski. He bought his own mainframe. There's, there's another guy who bought his own mainframe, uh, Jim Stefanik, uh, Faulty Warrior on, on the, the Twitters. And he was talking to us the other week about, uh, you know, he, he bought this mainframe. It was in Austin, I think. And yep. to get it to Connecticut, like there was a he had he had actually get a company that specializes in mainframes. But I guess they didn't do it very well. They just said, "Yeah, we can do that." And they basically just like wrapped it in wood and sent it on its way. Yeah, you would have you would have cringed when you heard how this box got shipped to this this kid. Like it went through the floor of the thing and they had to use like pry bars to get it high yeah, enough. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand how heavy these are. I mean, when you think about it, it's the size of a refrigerator but the weight of a car. <laughs> um, on four uh, you know, 4-inch casters. Wow. So or 6-inch, I can't remember about that. But but they're small. So when you think about it, it's quite it's quite dense yeah. as far as how much weight in a, in a small area. So if you're not used to kind of moving it around or relocating, it can be difficult. Is like a DS-8000 heavier than that? Um, I think our mainframes, and the, there are some DS-8000s upward, of, upwards of 4,000 pounds. We, sh- we Well, let me go back. We actually shipped here out of Poughkeepsie. We shipped um, a product that was almost 8,000 pounds. So I can honestly say that we probably shipped the heaviest mainframe out of Poughkeepsie. Now, granted, we don't offer that product at the moment, <laughs> but it was a few years ago we actually had that product. Okay. I, you're looking at me like almost as heavy as Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Almost that, and that—that's really hurtful. I just want you to know. <laughs> that's amazing, though. It's it's a it's a it's a car. It has its four wheels, just like a car, but it's taking up the rooms, the area. So you th- and now I'm thinking about those poor floor tiles. Yes, well, <laughs> absolutely. They do a lot, and we actually uh, mechanically send out a weight distribution bar, so that once it's installed into the data center, you th- you um, actually install this bar, and it crosses over many more tiles, and with the four. Uh, casters would so that it doesn't go through the floor. Oh, it spreads it out the it's, weight. It, it's a weight distribution bar. Yeah, yeah. And, you know you don't you don't think very much about the weight of of these things, but they are sizable, right? So, I was working with a um, a client, and this is a few years ago, and I won't tell you which one, but there you'll tell me afterwards, right? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> I certainly won't tell you publicly. Okay. But the the weight of the equipment in their room in their room was so heavy that the building because they had put it on the second floor of a building, um, the building had to be reinforced. The tiles in the room mm-hmm. didn't fit together because um, because there was so much weight on the floor. Oh, it like tore the fabric. It, of yeah, it, it, <laughs> the, it tore the fabric of the building Jeez. apart. They had to re literally reinforce the building because they're. Their equipment was too heavy for the, for the for the building. It was it was really interesting. You don't think about the fact that these things are are really big, heavy things. And it's going to go into a shop where it needs to be precise to like the billionth digit all day with no exceptions. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be handled by somebody who's also moving, you know, bags of sand or whatever. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. <laughs> That's my life. Yeah. <laughs> so so what is something, if, if Frank and I were to, to run over and try to package up a mainframe and, you know, we, we, we'd 
pat it around and throw some bubble wrap in there and stuff like that. What is something that we would miss that is just completely obvious to you? Okay. One of the things people don't think about is you have to not only package it for the distribution, but you got to get it in the package and then you got to get it out of the package, right? So again, this is very heavy, let's say 3,000, 4,000 pounds. So I actually have designed a crate um, so it's six-sided wooden crate um, that has a ramp door integrated into it. So the ramp and the one of the panels are one and the same. Um, and then you can then roll the product either if you're relocating and not at the plant, you can roll it up this ramp door into the crate. Um, and then one of the other things that I have designed, which is very unique, is that this, this crate... Um, treats the mainframe like it would any other package. In other words, it has cushionings on cushioning on all six sides, and it's free-floating inside. So what that does is it reduces the amount of um, vibration that's attenuated up through the base um, into the rack. So this is a, basically you've got this this rack that's just kind of floating inside of this package. Um, a lot of other companies will uh, take a bolt and actually bolt through, uh, let's say, the bottom of the rack and into the pallet itself. Um, that's a little bit less less expensive, but again, what the bolt does is it transmits the vibration up right. through the base, through the bolt, into the product. So you'll see a higher amount of vibration that's um, actually transmitted into the product. So that's the, one of the nice things that I have with the design that I'm using today is that it basically treats the mainframe like it does any other package you would see with, with cushioning all the way around it. So, so it's it's floating on cushions... In, on its casters, yep. In in a basically has cushioning all around, and it's and it's free floating inside. Now wow. it's, it's sandwiched. It's basically cushioning all around, sandwiched into a crate. Do we do we get those crates back? We can, and domestically we do. Um, internationally, it becomes cost. Uh, it's not cost. Pro, it's 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 expensive. We'll say <laughs> <laughs> it's expensive. Um, it's it costs more to return the crate than the crate is worth. So there are probably a lot of these fancy crates out there being used for multiple different purposes after it's been delivered. I'm trying to think about what I would use one for. Yeah, your kid. You know, I'm, yeah. I now have a, a baby. I'm just going to throw him in this crate because it's going to be safe. <laughs> yeah, the you know? safe. They can't hurt themselves. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny because, you know, you've, we've all been to, like, the UPS store and you go in there and they – put something and they pour a bunch of peanuts in there. Right. I'm thinking it's a lot different from that. You yeah, know? the cushioning, um, there's a lot more engineering involved. Um, there's kinds of, we have, we can choose different kinds of foams. Um, actually, rubber is, oh. is an insulator as well. Um, so I use what's called high-dense polyethylene, and it comes in different densities. It can be very soft and squishy to almost as hard as a brick. All right. So um, depending on the weight, you can pick the thickness and the density to give you the cushioning characteristics you want. So there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of, lot more engineering involved to why the cushions we pick, the thickness, where it's placed mm. and all that, that people probably wouldn't necessarily think about. It's amazing how much math and calculations go into just uh, putting a mainframe in a box. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, there's not only the cushioning part, but the the user, like usability. Um, how does manufacturing load it? How does the guy in the field unload it? Whether you do you have the equipment? Do you can you do it by 
pushing it? How many people do you? I was right? going to ask. The you have ergonomics. The, you have right? the ramp that you can push it up. How many people are we talking about? At, there? at the weight that we're on, it takes three people. Okay. Um, and the way that my crate is designed as well is you can take the back off and take the front off. So you can have one person kind of push from the back and two people guide it down the ramp to be safe. Okay. So it, there's a lot of things that go into play than other than just wrapping it up to get there safely. Right? So I, I remember years ago when we moved all the stuff from these raised floors over to Building 12, we did all that in a weekend. And uh, there's a spot over there where you to get up to the height of the raised floor, I, I forget how many inches it is, but you have to go up one ramp and then do a 90-degree or 180-degree turn and go up another ramp. And for the discs the systems, they're so heavy that they had, like, four people pushing it one way, and by the time they got, like, 20 feet, they were all out of breath, so you had to have four fresh people push it up the other one. <laughs> I can believe it. I can believe that. And one of the things that maybe we don't always uh, think about, too, is when we deliver to a customer location, to get from the dock door to the data center can be um, short distance. It can be a really long distance. Is that where most problems would happen? Um the problems could be, let's say, what the floor is made out of. So we actually have our carriers have um, uh, masonite or Lexan sheets that they put down on the floor. So as we're rolling it, we cover the floor yeah. so that we don't damage the customer's flooring that's, again, between the dock to the data center. And then because the distance can be quite long, we actually have to kind of piggyback these. Um, you know, you're kind of like taking one sheet and, you know, putting it down so that you can kind of roll down. That Wallace and Gromit gif where they're Basically, the train tracks in front of them. And then <laughs> you have to. And then you think about hallways aren't always conducive to having so many people push this. So depending on Again, where it has to go from the dock to the data center, it can be quite challenging for the carrier. So we, we contract our carriers um, for domestic um, to actually do inside delivery. So it's the carrier that's doing this. Again, these are the same people that don't deliver our stuff day in and day out. So, um, But they're usually really good. We, we have regular carriers that we've been using for years, so they're well-trained. But again, they don't just do you know, mainframes. So it's not it's not like Bob and Doug's delivery system, right? <laughs> no, they're they're well trained, and we have a very good relationship with our logistics partners. Um, and we put together um, instructions, and we hold classes, and you know, making sure they understand how to do things safely. Especially, well, you think about it when it's on the truck and it's got to go off a, a ta- what we call it the tailgate or the lift gate. Um, Sometimes the carers will neglect to put the safety strap around, and that can be a real hazard if it's, you know, it's on this moving platform coming off the truck and it starts to tip. And the last thing we want people to do, and it's almost counterintuitive, is try to save the rack. I mean, you think this thing is four, three thousand pounds. It's going when it starts to go. One person is not going to stop it from falling over. So we make it very clear that, you know, yes, it's a million dollars, but your life is worth a lot more. So, right. you know, don't try to save it. But unfortunately, people, first thing they do is they try to, yeah. you know, save it. So. stop it. Yeah. yeah. So it's very important. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of safety things. And like I said, with our partners, we try to make sure that they know what's appropriate and what's um, you know, so, best. Yeah. So how much training does it take before you're confident somebody can move a mainframe? 
Like I said, we work with our logistics partners, um, and we have a website that we put all of our packaging and unpacking instructions and safety instructions, um, and it's up to the logistics partner to then train the actual carriers themselves. But we're partners with them, so we make sure they have all the right inf- information. But um, for the most part, I think when we have a new product, we bring, like I said, our, our logistics partner in, um, and we walk through how it's packed, how to unpack it, we videotape it, make sure that there's all that information now that's needed to do it correctly and safely. So there's like an hour's worth of videos that you have oh, yeah. before before somebody even starts to move this. Do they have like yep. really great background music and Oh, yeah, some of them do. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing cell phone for two, you know, yeah, the hold music, you know. That's right. That's uh, right, the elevator of... music. <laughs> so I'm, you know, it's interesting because you don't think about this kind of stuff, how long it takes to, to move it. We're going to come out with this new – well, they, we just came out with a new mainframe, right, the, the new Z, Z14. Yep. How much lead time did you get before they say, hey, here's a new box. You've got to figure out how to ship it. One nice thing within the past few generations of products, um, our racks have been pretty much the same – dimension. You know, the same width, same depth, same height. Um, What's under the covers changes quite a bit. But for the most part, when you really look at the outside dimensions of the product, um, it's really stayed pretty stable. So from a shipping of the mainframe, other than maybe making few modifications, it's been pretty, I won't say easy, but it's been pretty pretty easy to evolve from product to product. I can tweak it a little bit. Um, when you think about when we deliver, a lot of times we actually have to bring something back. So my packaging not only has to deliver the product, but sometimes has to return the one that's being, like say, taken out and replaced with the new one. So there's a lot of things I got to do to accommodate what's going out, but what's coming back as well. It's like a band going on tour. You got it. <laughs> yeah. You got it. So uh, you're talking about the the rack and the frame and stuff like that. They don't ship with the doors on them, obviously. Um, so when you buy a mainframe and the UPS guy shows up and says, I have a package for you, there's a couple crates that show up, right? Well, you have no idea how many boxes. I mean, we're talking over a dozen boxes. Really? Yeah. Well, you think you have the, the frame itself, yeah. and that could be two of them depending on which system you're buying. You have the front and rear cover kit for each of those, and they're like the size of a coffin, literally. <laughs> um, That's how I want to be buried. Yeah, right. You want my, <laughs> one of my boxes. There are things called fill and drain tools, integrated lift tools, ship groups, which is your extra stuff, cables, everything else it takes to install. So... Um, it, it takes quite a bit of space. People, There's like a kiddie pool in one of them, isn't there? Oh, a kiddie pool? There's a fill and drain tool. That's, I don't know, but I, a I remember pool. there was like a, there was like a, a, a contain, a, like a liquid containment system I saw in one of the boxes. There was like a, like a fishing reel looking thing for fishing <laughs> the, the cables underneath it. Um, this I, was like on the 196. There, there may be. <laughs> I, I, I just I remember th- that it had everything imaginable, every size tool you might yeah, need, Yeah, there's a toolkit. We actually ship water. Because our systems, so it's a it's a jug of water that has what's called BTA in it. So it's an anti-corrosion uh-huh. chemical. That's so we can't just ship. So it's not just water. So we actually ship that as well in these five-gallon jugs. Oh, there's an interesting story. We just shipped um, our systems. Remember, it was really cold not too long ago. Mm. Um, so we had a situation where those jugs actually froze. 
five gallon chunks of water froze. So, so, so the situation was okay. Now what do we do? We have to basically wait till it you know warms up. But I mean, we we ship in all temperatures, all situations. Um, I get involved with so many things that people have no idea. And that's uh, I, that's like the most complicated possible shipping thing because you have a the, quite possibly the most expensive piece of hardware that somebody can buy, and riding with it is gallons and gallons of liquid. Gallons of liquids, it's necessary, but yes, I ship, yeah, I ship just, yeah, everything. (laughs) Everything. So it's not like um, you you don't come home to a box and say, okay, you know, it's like my Electrolux. Where do I plug this in? It it doesn't go into the outlet uh, next to the One of the interesting things when we're talking about when we ship things cold, um, and again, Mm. just this is so seasonal because we just had this really cold stint. Um, For those not in New York, it was really cold. Very cold. cold. (laughs) And, you know, Michigan and place. So we delivered um, some mainframes when it was really cold. One thing people don't realize, but when you take something cold and then you take all the packaging off of it and you bring it into a warm data center, what do you think happens? Condensation. Condensation. Condensation, um, we, is, I mean, our stuff is designed for condensation, but we don't like to see it. It's just bad. So we come up with things like an acclimation process. Well, for whatever reason, the acclimation process wasn't wasn't followed, and we actually had some instances where we had literally drippy machines in customers' offices. So, so the next time any of you guys buy anything in like a large screen TV and it's really, really cold outside, my suggestion just to you is leave all the packaging on, let it acclimate before you take it out of the box because I don't think you want a drippy main or a drippy uh, TV. So, well, a friend of mine just actually bought a really nice uh, Paul Reed Smith guitar. It's like a thirty-five hundred dollar guitar. And when it arrived, it had big yellow stickers on every side of it that said, let this acclimate. And there's a whole procedure like, yes. we know you want to play your guitar. Don't try to warm it up with anything, you know, otherwise the paint will crack and all that stuff. So we brand new guitar. I can stare at the box for two days, you know. <laughs> well, there's a lot to say. I mean, you think about, you know, customers and, or, you know, we're buying, they're buying the, I'll call it the Maserati of of, of computers, right? And we have like to that. treat treat them like that, right? And and again, people are very excited to get their stuff, but they don't realize, you know, like I said, we kind of take for granted, you know, take all the packaging off, warm it up really fast, and and actually, <laughs> it um, is not the best thing for it. So, and it's high, you know, it's very electrical, very sensitive, so. So I don't stand there with a hair dryer trying to no, heat up No, no, actually. Just let it warm up, you know, as it would normally for 24, 48 hours, and then uh, it, everything's fine. And it's designed for that, so. How long might a mainframe spend in transit uh, domestically and internationally? Like, what's... How long until you know that it made it there safely? There's a lot of steps, and it's not an easy question to answer. Domestically, uh, we use dedicated trucks, so those are probably the the least amount of time. So it goes on a truck, and it goes from here to, let's say, Chicago, right? So it's, you know, we're talking... I'm not sure if it's straight, you know, because, of course, your your trucker has to take their breaks. But so like like a day or two. Right. When it goes international, it goes into the airport. It goes on an airplane. It gets into country. It goes through all kinds of customs. Um, it could be weeks, I'm wow. thinking, in some cases, um, depending on where it's going. Right. But, I'm, I'm flying this to a vesicle of Finland, so it's going to be, <laughs> you know, cold there, and yeah. I've got to figure out how long it's going to take. To... Right. And then there's only only so much I can do from a packaging perspective to protect the product. I can put things that um, control humidity because I can basically dry bag it. 
but I really can't control temperature. And that's one of the things that's the biggest, let's say, you know, headache that I have is temperature. I can, I can keep it dry. I can keep it protected from, you know, from being banged up and, you know, from a cushioning perspective, but I really can't control temperature from point A to point B. So it's a challenge. <laughs> wow. So um, did you, uh, did you come up to your mom when you were five years old and go, I want to, I want to be a, a packaging engineer? Good question. Um, honestly, I didn't know packaging engineering, um, this profession actually existed until I came here. I have a mechanical engineering background, um, got hired into supply chain, was doing manufacturing process work, and in my department was a person doing packaging engineering work, and she moved on to another position, and they said... Are, are you, know, you sure they weren't just dropping stuff? No. <laughs> no, so, so I basically got, you know, kind of asked if I wanted to, you know, move into a, a new position. And I said, sure, I'll give it a shot. Um, found out that I absolutely love it. It's it's an area that people kind of take for granted, but I do love what I do. It's, I can be creative. I can create things and solve problems of problems that people didn't even know existed. Um, there are degrees in packaging engineering. Um, again, it's kind of an offshoot of mechanical but um, uh, like uh, RIT has a degree in packaging engineering, Michigan State, there are a few. Um, you could get involved into the uh, marketing side because when you think of packaging, there's the labels and the graphics that go onto it. Uh, but I, you know, I'm in the protective side, so it's uh, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. Anyone wow. that I mean, like I said, I walk into stores and I look at, I pick up, <laughs> let's say, a water bottle, and you know, I start analyzing it. You know, what could I do to make it better? Or why did they make it the way it is? Or why is it the shape that it is? Um, that maybe people just you know don't even you know kind of think about. But it's it's a great it's a great job. I love it. I love what I do. Wow. See, I'm never gonna look at opening a package the same way again. Oh, my husband picks on me all the time because we get something in the mail. First thing I'm doing is looking at the box that it's in, you know, to check it out, right? <laughs> and sometimes I actually find things, you know, oh, well, this company used this kind of, you know, corner. <laughs> oh, maybe I'll use that and, I, you know, take that back to work. So <laughs> you never know where you can get ideas from. Wow. And I keep coming back to the, you designed the the crate, you know, the, the container that things are going out and. Do you get to, like, create patents on that kind of stuff? I do have some patents. Yep. Nice. Um, and, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the last ones I worked on is, uh, there. you know, when you think about when you pick things up with a, with a, with a, with a pellet, there's a, a gap um, where your fork truck goes in. So the patent that I worked on, because I know this is filed, so I know I can talk okay. about this, <laughs> um, actually it was a gap filler because one of the things we find is when things are held on the pellet, that once the pellet starts to go, it, it you know, it goes, right? It kind of tips. So if we were to come up with something that kind of like filled that, right, then it would give you time to kind of then put the pellet back down with the fork truck and, and it wouldn't tip over. So, again, all kinds of things, all kinds of things, you know. That is really, that really is, cool. That is really cool. I want to be a package engineer I would now. love to have you guys come down and see the lab and kind of walk through the – Can we do a Terminal Talk field trip? Terminal talk field trip. A terminal talk with tip and tell field trip. <laughs> You'll be surprised what you see. Believe me. And then on top of the mainframes, I do everything else. So everything that we ship out of Poughkeepsie specifically, whether it be small dims to large mainframes and everything in between, they all have packaging, right? We all have fruits or replaceable unit, you know, fruit replace, you know, spare so, parts. So um, in order to save money, rather than you know buy a seat for Jeff. 
um, perhaps we could just ship him to the next conference. Well, how long would it take to figure <laughs> out the right container to? I don't know if there's a right container for Jeff. <laughs> well, I, I was just about to say. I wonder what uh, Miss uh, Miss Sharon here would say about the way we packaged up our audio gear for the the last uh, terminal talk on the road. <laughs> I can help you with that. <laughs> Actually, just that would be good up. because uh, at the last conference, I I took uh, the the uh, suitcase that I used when I when I travel abroad uh, to. Uh, to carry our equipment around, and everybody said, "What you just get here? It's it's Wednesday. Why are you uh, walking around with your briefcase or your suitcase?" So uh, yeah, maybe you can help us come up with something a little bit more, more elegant. elegant. <laughs> oh, I can do that. <laughs> wow, this is, this has been a great episode so far. Right, I, I, we'll have to we'll have to start uh, doing a GoFundMe page for the uh, <laughs> for the materials for that. That'd be awesome. Well, thank you very much for for taking the time out of your. You're a very interesting day to talk well, to Thank us. you for having me, and I, I love talking about packaging. So if you ever want to have me on again, I'll come back. Awesome. Yeah, thank you very much. We had to come back because during the <laughs> when we record, a lot of times we stop recording and the best conversations come through. And we just heard some stuff that we just have to talk about. So if you're looking at your podcast thing, say, this isn't going to be like 12 more minutes of just that stupid music, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we were just kind of talking about some stuff. And uh, we're um, apparently when delivering a mainframe to parts of Europe, the there's some consideration that goes into fitting it through a doorway. Oh, yeah. Um, so we actually have something called a height reduction feature. So what it allows is that the top section of our mainframe can actually be um, taken off and shipped separately, which then reduces the height of the frame down to hopefully a manageable height to go through some doorways. So so that means extra boxes get shipped because these are now basically shipped separately. They get delivered to the customer. They get unpackaged. Um, let's say the, the, the crate or the, the frame is actually shorter now. It gets rolled through, the, let's say, the doorway. The top section is then unpacked, brought through the doorway, and then assembled on site by the SSR at that point. So it is a feature that we actually have, and um, they can order. And it and, and that way, in situations where doorways are too short, they don't have to, you know, you know, break down the doorway or change a doorway <laughs> to get the mainframe into the data center. So yeah, has it ever gotten to the point where it, has it ever gotten to the point where a mainframe has gotten delivered and it's gotten like so far? And there's just like one doorway or one elevator that it can't clear. Probably, um, <laughs> I, I, I can honestly say yes. It's uh, we try to plan it ahead so that that kind of disassembly doesn't happen to happen to have to take place on site. That only the assembly part has to be taken on, um, done. So, I, I'm pretty sure there's situations. Um, but to bring on a point is uh, is odd deliveries. Some deliveries um, don't go as I wouldn't say go as planned, but aren't as traditional. We I had situations where mainframes had to be in, uh, brought up to like the third floor, and it had to go through a window, you know, so because they did not have a way to get it up to the third floor, so, kind of, so they literally had a crane pick it up, and it went through a window. So that was interesting pictures. I physically was not there for that one, but I saw some very interesting pictures. It'd be really cool to be the guy that had to break the window. To uh, <laughs> My job was to throw the hammer through the window so that we I'm, can break it enough to get the mainframe I'm just through. picturing there's somebody inside there with like, when are you guys going to close that window? It's cold in here. <laughs> yeah, and, and on top 
top of that, we actually um, had situations where the crane, talk about dropping, right? We were uh-huh. talking about where the crane actually failed. And it, it was caught on video. This was an interesting. It was caught on video where the crane was picking it up, and then you could see the crane fail, and then it dropped the mainframe down to the ground. So, honestly, none of none of my packaging would have you know would have would have helped in that case. So that's an extreme. But I I do have the video. I've I've seen the video of that one. Wow. Well, we got to put that somewhere. Where people I'll find it. it for you and share If you that. see it, then we'll, we'll put it out on, we can put it out on, uh, on YouTube and then we'll point to it on Twitter. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Make a gif out of it. I can see myself using that for lots of situations. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So this is really yeah. the, the end of the so, show. And, and no matter, you know, we're going to do an episode soon about um, CISPROG disasters. There's nothing you could do worse than physically dropping Drop three floors off. Right. <laughs> so they'll feel a lot better. We'll show this, they'll have this one first. Yeah, all things are relative. <laughs> At least whenever I've trashed a system, you could re-IPL it. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. All right. So once again, thank you very much. Thank You're you. welcome. Thank you for having me. For real. This time, Charlie, play us out. <laughs> Old man Charlie. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net. That's contact at terminaltalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off. <laughs>